Welcome to church. Let's go. Genesis chapter 18. I'm going to read from verse 1 uh, through to verse 15. I'm going to skip some in the middle just for the sake of time. Um, but, uh, but Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. It says, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamah. Appeared to Abraham, that is. And he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, three men were standing there in front of him. And we know from the rest of this story and the rest of the chapter as well that um, that, that was the Lord God, Yahweh, and uh, a couple of angels, okay? So God and a couple of angels were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. And he bowed down to the earth and said, Oh, Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass me Bye. We'll move to verse 9 now. It says, They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? Someone say, Where is your wife? All right. Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is uh, in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely remain, sorry, I will surely return uh, to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the door of the tent. Uh, now, Abraham and Sarah, they were old, advanced in years, and the way of women had ceased to be with her. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out, now, I understand that. I'm like, now? You know, can you imagine you're 60, 70, 80, 90, got no kids, and then you find out you're going to have a kid. You're like, now? I'm old. I'm tired. I'm 40, Okay. I've got five kids, my youngest is five. My wife, she's not 40. And, uh, and, 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 and if I found out I was having a kid right now, I'd be a little bit, I'd vibe a bit like Sarah. I'd be like, now? Now, I, I saw the light at the end of the tunnel. There is no poo on the walls of my house. It's been good for four years. Now, I gotta do this again? I get what Sarah was doing. But Sarah wasn't like, oh man, I don't want to, I'm old. She was like, this ain't possible. This ain't going to happen. Then she says, uh, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Read into that, whatever you want. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. And he said, yeah, but you did. There's just some people you don't lie to, all right? You can get away with it. You shouldn't lie to me or anybody else, but you can get away with it. When God says you laughed, you're like, yeah, you're right, I did, you know? Sarah's like, no, I didn't. It's all good. Anyway, shall we pray? One person wants us to pray. All right, we'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity it is to come and meet you in your house. God, we know that this is not my house. This is not, this is not Lauren's house. This is not Jake's house. This is your house. This is our Father's house. And we know that when we come into our Father's house that we get what we need, that you encourage us, that you help us, that you, that you uh, heal us, that you provide for us, that you sometimes even rebuke us. But God, whenever we leave your house, we know we leave better than we walked in. So God, we pray that you help me preach your word with clarity and with boldness and with truth in this place. God, we also know that this is a tense time in our nation. It's a tense time in the USA. A lot of people are fearful of the future. What about this? What about that? And so God, we pray for our country. We pray for righteousness to prevail 
in every corner of this land. We pray that we would get to see the day where the Lord, where Jesus is lifted up, not only over Eternity Church, but over every church. Not only over our homes, but over every home and over our schools and our workplaces, our courthouses and our state houses, the crack house and the white house. That, Lord God, the whole world would see that in the USA, the word of God still matters and that those who honor the Lord find hope, find joy, find healing, find freedom and find peace. God, we pray that you would use us, use me, use every individual in the room, use our church, Lord God to help bring our country back to you. God, if you can use a donkey, you can use us. If you can make the rocks cry out, you can open the mouths of your church and fill it with boldness. So God, I pray that you would use us, that we would all get to see the day where the tension is eased and righteousness prevails. In Jesus' name, could someone say amen to that prayer? Amen. Amen. Come on, awesome. You may take your seats. Turn to your neighbor and say, where is your wife? I know that was really weird for some of you. Said that to some women in here. We're not that church. Now, listen, there's a really unique thing happens in the start of this story compared to every other conversation and interaction that Abraham, or before this, Abram, had had with God. See, in every one of them, we have Abraham meeting with God. And, 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 but this one's unique. In this one, God takes the time to meet with Sarah, okay? He's not just meeting with Abraham anymore. He's taking the time to specifically have a conversation with Sarah. See, the thing is, he's got Abraham moving along well. If you've been coming to church the last 12 months, we've been doing a chapter of Genesis, probably, uh, probably a couple of those chapters every month. And, and you've seen Abraham come on this journey from uh, idolatry uh, into faithfulness. Uh, you've seen him not really trust God, and then you've seen him really start trusting God. You've seen him believe what God says, not just that God exists. And we've seen God make him righteous because of his faith. And so he's been on a great journey where his life is really starting to resemble what God wants it to look like, but he still needs to sort some things out with Sarah. So he comes along and he says, yeah, but where's your wife? Okay. And then we see that Sarah laughs at the promise of God, didn't quite believe what God could do in her life. And apparently she is then summoned into the tent. Uh, God convicts her and talks about it. And then we see in Hebrews chapter 11 that that tension has been resolved, okay? That, 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 That Sarah goes from a woman that had no faith and laughed at what God said to a woman of great faith. And Hebrews actually lists her among the greats of the faith and actually even says that it was her faith that allowed her to finally conceive her first child, okay? It's a great story. The question is, why did God need to take the time to meet with Sarah, not just Abram, okay? See, I love that he takes the time. And why? Well, we need to know this. Men, your wife is not just some pretty thing on your hip, okay? She's not just some birthing vessel, okay? She's not just somebody that looks good standing next to you. Now, I, for one, am so thrilled and grateful that my wife looks good and is willing to stand next to me. 
thank God. I'm glad that she does not look like a man. Anybody else say amen, right? Like, so I'm glad. But you know what? A wife is more than that. It is not God's plan that we just have good men in the family and who cares about the wife she's got no role to play she just looks good she's there to have kids no that's not it at all God's plan for family isn't well it's good enough if the man follows God's plans but God wants there to be a man of God and a woman of God in the family, that a dad that loves the Lord and a mom that loves the Lord, a dad that prays for his family and covers his children in prayer, and a mom of faith that prays prayers of faith as well. Can somebody say amen? <clears throat> See, who you marry matters. Let me say it to you, to the single people again. Who you marry matters, Okay. If you're looking just for some good-looking girl, but you don't care about what she believes and what's in her heart and what she thinks about the Word of God, well, guess what? When she's 120, she's not going to be so fine anymore, but she'll still be bitter and twisted. Come on now. If you want to marry a boy that, that's just, that looks good and he's super handsome, thank God my wife didn't care about that, right? But if you just want to marry a boy that looks good, is super handsome, but, but he doesn't have any faith and, and he's a jerk, well, when he's old, he's not going to look so good, but he's still going to be a jerk. Who you marry matters, and what they look like is lower on the scale than what's on the inside of the man, what's on the inside of a woman. Young people, young girls, don't marry a woke boy. No, come on, seriously. You don't want to marry a boy that when someone whips out a gun, he hides behind you. You don't want to marry a boy that's so scared of the enemy that when someone breaks into your house, he just cries. No, you want one that gets up and starts busting caps. That's who we, you don't want to marry a boy that doesn't have conviction, that doesn't have a firm foundation on the Word of God, because he ain't going to raise your kids. Your kids are going to raise him. When they're going through a hard time and they're confused or there's something they're struggling with, he's just, well, whatever makes you happy. You know, he's just going to clap as they do whatever makes them feel temporarily happy. You want to you marry a man of God that stands on the Word of God, and when your kids are struggling, he stands up with some conviction and says, hey, I know you're struggling right now, and I will always love you, and I will never abandon you, and I will always be with you, but I'm going to show you a better way to live. I'm going to show you why this is a better way to live your life. Come on now. You know what? You may not be good at being a man right now, but I'm going to show you how to be good at being a man right now. You want to marry a man of conviction. You want to marry a man who believes what you believe. Amen. Ladies, uh, sorry, men, same deal. Don't go marrying some woke girl who doesn't believe what you believe. You don't want to marry a girl who you want to raise your kids in the ways of God, standing firm on the word of God. She's just like, well, whatever makes you happy. Whatever will be, will be. Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. No, you want to marry someone who's got convictions that match your convictions so that when your kids are going through a hard time, instead of just being like, oh, give me a hug. Yeah, you want her to love them. Yeah, you want her to have compassion. Yeah, you want her to, 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 to give them a hug and look after them, but you also want her to pray a bold prayer of faith that God will get them through what they're going through. Amen. 
You want to be aligned together. And so God meets with Sarah, not just Abraham, because it's not good enough to have a man of God. It's not good enough just to have a woman of God. God wants a couple that are aligned and believe God together. It's not good enough to have a, 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 a godly man and an ungodly woman, a, a righteous man and an unrighteous woman, a, a righteous, a, a believing man and an unbelieving woman. He wants you together. And it's not just about the man, the woman matters just as much as the man. Can someone say amen? <clears throat> now, I know that you might be in here and you might be married already and your spouse isn't a believer and you're like, dang, this is harsh. You know what? Hey, I'm telling you, there is hope. How many people do you see get saved at Eternity Church every single week? Between like 20 to 60, depending on the week, right? 20 to 60 every week. Right, come on, there is hope for your spouse to give their life to Jesus Christ. So instead of complaining about your spouse, it might be time to pray. Pray that they'll come around. Pray they'll come to know the Lord, amen. And instead of getting bitter, instead of getting twisted, instead of going home from church and saying, oh, I wish you were there, and just annoy it, show them what a woman of God looks like. Show them what a man of God looks like. Be the man of God that, they, that, they, that they're blessed to have. Be the woman of God that they're blessed to have. Can someone say amen? Don't spend your time bickering with your friends about your wife or your husband. Get on your knees and pray for them. Amen. Don't moan and complain about it more than you get on your knees about it. I believe if you'd pray more about it than you complain about it, you might give God an opportunity to do a miracle in it. Amen. I reckon we should pray right now. What do you think? Yeah, I reckon everyone close your eyes for a second. If you're in this room and your spouse is not a believer, I'm believing right now for their salvation. So if, you, if that's you, lift up your hand. You're here and you're saying, my, my spouse is not a believer. Yeah, we got a bunch of hands all over the place. Come on, I'm gonna pray for you right now. Everybody, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that in Sarah, we get to see an example of a woman that complained and laughed at the word of God, but she had a change of heart and became a woman who Hebrews says is listed among the greats of our faith, Lord. And I pray for every child of God in this room who knows what it's like to be Abraham, to have a word from God, only to have it laughed at by a spouse who we love. And, and many in this room have had to endure uh, the pain of knowing that someone we dearly love is on a path that doesn't lead to eternal life. So I pray for your Holy Spirit to comfort them in the name of Jesus, the great comforter and counselor as scripture calls the Holy Spirit. I pray you would come and comfort them. But God, I pray you would strengthen them and help them to pray more than they complain, Lord God, to, to honor more than they dishonor, Lord God, to be a godly wife, to be a godly husband, to show them the way that they would see in them that God's way is better. And God, I pray for a miracle that those we love would have an encounter with you, that you would shake their unbelief to the core and they would humble themselves and make you the Lord of their lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Someone say amen again. Amen. <laughs> amen. So after this really important encounter with Sarah, Abraham walks with the Lord from the tent all the way to the edge of their land or their encampment, okay? We're going to pick it up at verse 16 in just a moment. Now, what's happening here is it was common in those days for the patriarch to walk the guests to the very edge of their land and to say goodbye. Similar to how when someone comes over to your house for dinner, you don't stay on the couch and be like, well, you know where the door is, you know? Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord... Anyway, and so... 
So you don't do that, you walk them to the door. Now, Lauren and I are Australians. We don't walk them to the door, we walk them to the edge of our property, okay? See, in Australia, what we do is, we, we get up, we walk to the door, we close the door, we open the gate, we walk out to the driveway, they get in the car, we do this. Now, if you're under like 30, this means wind down your window, because back then we had a little, anyway, there was no button. And then, so we like wind down, so then they would wind down their window, and we're, we're just chatting away with them at, at the window to their car, and then one of the, after about 10 minutes in the driveway, in the car, talking still, one person in the, in the front of the car, the husband or the wife, is saying, like, we've got to go, and then we're like, shut up, and we just keep talking for like another 10 minutes, and then they finally start backing down the driveway, and we just back down with them, and we're still talking, and we're, we're still going, and then they start backing, and we're like, okay, and so, so, so 10 o'clock tomorrow, I see you tomorrow, and then they're gone, right? That's how Australians say goodbye. Now, I've got a lot of Hispanic friends, too, and I've discovered that's how they say goodbye, all right? We're just like, we got a lot of words. We still got to get out, you know? When Lauren and I first moved here 10 years ago, we discovered that's not what you do. We went out to the uh, Tom and Diane Phillips house when we first moved here. They're one of the families that helped us start Eternity Church, and they're American. Uh, we go to their house for dinner, and they're like, it's time to go. So we're like, all right. We get to the door. They're like, all right, goodbye. Doors closed. Lauren are like, what did we do? We thought that we had, like, offended them, done something that in America is so ungodly, you know? So anyway, we get in the car. We're having a full conversation about how, like, trying to replay the night. What did we do? What did we say? Why they slam that door on us, you know? Anyway, we get in the car, we go to someone else's house, probably the Fuquays or someone who still attends the church, uh, sorry, who was in the church back then. And, and so we chat with the, the, them with dinner, whatever else, and, and then we get to the door and boom, we're like, okay, maybe we are doing something wrong if everybody's slamming doors on us. Like we must be doing something wrong. Go to someone else's house. I don't know who, Trost or something. Go to someone's house and, and, and it's sort, the door starts closing. We're like, hold up, stop. Are you closing the door because we're offensive, which we can't see because we think we're lovely? <laughs> or do y'all not walk people to the car in America? And they're like, no, why would we do that? Here's where the door's at. I'm like, we haven't been bad guests. We felt delivered all of a sudden of this pressure. It was crazy. They're like, well, we don't walk you know, because like sometimes it's cold, you know, in winter, it's like minus 10 degrees. And I'm like, in Australia, it's like 190. And we walk people to the, yeah, sure, we're dripping wet, we sweat when we get back in, but we still do the right thing. Anyway, Abraham, I'm not saying I'm better than you, I'm just saying Abraham did it how we do it. Okay? So Abraham walked with them all the way to the edge of the encampment, like a good Aussie boy, okay? Just takes him all the way to the end, and, and I'm thankful that he did that, because he learned a lot more about God by going all the way to the end, okay? And see, as they're walking along there, we see that God and the angels are chatting, and, and we know that God wants to show something to Abraham, okay? And so there's like, well, we've got to show Abraham what we're about to do. Now, what was God about to do? Well, everybody's heard the story of Sodom 
and Gomorrah. And so basically, God wants to show Abraham, yo, Abraham, I'm about to drop a bomb on Sodom, all right? Nuke, fire, gone. That's what I'm about to do. Chapter 19 is nuts, all right? Read that this week, okay? But, a, but God sees fit to make sure that Abraham knows about it and knows it was God. See, God wasn't done with Abraham yet. Before God brought a great nation out of Abraham and Sarah, there were some things he needed to sort out. So he made sure that they're both on the same uh, path where they're both people of faith, they're both believers, they're both righteous. And you'd think then that the promise could come now, but no, that's not it. They're not ready yet. There's one more thing that God wants Abram to see, okay? And you can read it from verse 16 through to 21. Um, but verse 19 says that I've got to show him this, for I have chosen him, Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he promised to bring him. So before God does what he promised to do in and through Abraham, God wanted Abraham to see one more thing about God, that God is a God of justice. You see, Abraham had experienced a lot of who God is, but he still didn't know all that God wanted him to know about him. And we will never know everything about God. God's ways are higher than our ways. We won't know. But there are things God wants us to know. Abraham knew that our God is a God of mercy. Abraham uh, experienced that when he was far away from God in Ur of the Chaldeans and he was doing his own thing and they were not godly people. They, 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 they were idolaters and worshiping some other false god and doing their own thing. And, and, and we've all experienced God's mercy like that. The New Testament says that while we were still dead in our sin, Christ died for us, creating the opportunity for us to follow God. And so, so Abraham knew God is a God of mercy. Uh, but, but God has more to show him. Abraham knew that our God is a God of grace. He'd experienced the incredible grace of God that gives us what we don't deserve. He experienced it in many, many ways, one of those ways being righteousness. Scripture says that it was just by faith in God that God said, you are righteous, okay? And so Abraham knew that our God is a God of grace, but God wanted him to know more. Abraham knew that our God's a faithful God, that he keeps his word, that he does not lie, that he does what he promises. Abraham saw this. One of the ways he saw that was God rescued him out of Egypt and blessed him as he promised to, even though Abraham sinned really badly. But God wanted to show him more. Abraham knew that our God is a good God, that he loves to bless those who follow him, that he pours out his favor on those who call him Lord, and that when you do what God says, that good things happen because our God is a good God. Amen? Abraham knew this, and he knew a lot more about God, but there's one more thing that God said that Abraham needs to know before I bring the promise to him. Abraham needed to know that our God is a God of justice. That God hates sin. <coughs> Excuse me. 
that though he's a merciful God, that though he's a good God, that though he's a loving God, that though he's a gracious God, that he's also a God of justice. And there does come a time where you've got to take God's word seriously, that you cannot go on ignoring God's commands forever. God wanted Abraham's family to know that God is a God of justice, of judgment and wrath against sin. Because without a proper understanding of who God is, they and all the generations after them would not take God at his word. God wants you and me to know the same thing. God is saying, yes, follow me, but know who I am. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, you know the song, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Like, we know the songs, we sing the songs. Well, probably been 30 years since we sung that song, but we know the songs. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, the same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in every spirit-filled believer. And yes, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Yes, God keeps his promises. Yes, God is faithful. Yes, God is so, so good to me. But also he torched Sodom because they would not repent and turn from their wicked ways. God wanted Abraham to know, I am a God of justice. What's that word mean? Let's roll it up on the screen here. Here's the word in the Hebrew, mishfat, okay? What it means is to govern, to command, to judge, to warn, to punish. God is also a God who governs. He's in control. He, he commands. He, he tells us how to live. He judges those whether you're living right or wrong. He's going to separate the, the, the sheep from the goats. And he warns people, don't go that way. It's not going to go. He, he punishes those who, who do not heed his warning. We all love the idea of living in God's goodness. Anybody else? Eight people. I love living in God's goodness. Anybody else, right? Like weird to not want to be blessed, okay? I love living in the favor and the blessing of God. Uh, it's great enjoying his mercy, experiencing all that comes from his incredible grace. We want his favor poured out on his lives. We love the joy, 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 joy of the Lord, right? Down in our hearts. Y'all know the altar. We love all of that, but, but do we love his mishfat as well? Don't get me wrong. God's mishfat, God's justice comes with grace and his justice comes with mercy and his justice comes with faithfulness, but his faithfulness comes with justice and his mercy comes with justice and his goodness comes with justice. Just like how John says when he introduces the book of John, when we're introduced to Jesus, the Messiah, it says he came full of grace and full of truth. It was both. You don't get the goodness without the mishpat. You don't get the grace without the truth. In fact, there's no such thing as grace if there is no truth. I can't give someone grace if they didn't do anything offensive. Grace is actually for the moment that you've been offensive. Grace cannot possibly exist if sin does not exist. Grace exists because I sinned against you and you were gracious to me because of that. If I didn't do anything wrong, you're not being gracious by welcoming you. You're just being a good person. That's it. God came full of grace and truth. So let's look at what that means to live in the mishpat of God. I want to show you all these from the New Testament as well. 
so that you know this isn't who God was, but this is who God is, amen? There seems to be this bizarre sort of attempt by the world to change who God is in an effort to excuse how we live, right? It's like the world has the audacity and the pride to say that the further we get from when the language was spoken, the better we understand it. No, that's not how it goes. Come on now. So I'm going to show you from both, all right? So first one, talking about God's governance, it means that we're going to submit to God and let him govern our lives. First Corinthians says, yet as for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, that's not Lord as in Yahweh, that's usually in capitals, but one Lord, uh, one Lord as the governor, the ruler of our lives, there's one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things are. It goes on, and Jesus said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, James, uh, sorry, it says in Romans 10, James 4, 7, one of my favorites, submit yourselves to God, therefore resist the devil, he'll flee from you, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Church, we're all called to live under the lordship of God, under the governance of God. That is, we submit our lives to God and to his word. We don't try to change God. We're not trying to create God in our image. We we believe that we were created in the image of God, that sin came into our lives and ruined some of that. But now we seek to live our lives in submission to God that he would recreate us again in the image of God. Amen? But the good thing about this is it's not just God saying, do what I say. It's not it. It's us trusting the fact that God's ways are actually better than our ways. So we're willing to submit to his ways, knowing that they will produce better fruit in our lives than any other lifestyle possibly could produce. And so because I trust God's ways are better, I'm willing to obey his commands, knowing that it may be hard to change these areas of my life, these habits that I've got, these desires in my heart. It's going to be hard not to give in to them, but I believe that God's way is better and that God is good and that when I turn away from worldliness to godliness, that that if I live his way, though it might be hard to start, it will be better. For me, for my family, my church, my community, my state, my country, the world, so I'll submit and seek to do what is right in the eyes of God. Which leads me to the next one about the Mishvat commands. We want to obey God's commands. So having settled that we can trust God's governance, that his ways are higher than mine and his thoughts are higher than mine, as as it says in in Ecclesiastes, his ways are better than the world's ways. I want to obey his commands. And I know that doing what's right in God's eyes is going to be better for my life. It's not just an Old Testament concept. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. He went on to say, the one who keeps my commandments are the ones who love me. He said again in Luke, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Now, this isn't saying that you're never going to make a mistake. Hands up all the perfect Christians in the room, right? Only Lauren, no one else, right? Like, 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 there's no perfect Christian. We always say, you know, I've seen those uh, websites for churches and they say no perfect people allowed. We're not like that. Perfect people are 100% welcome at Eternity Church, but none have come yet, all right? There are no perfect people, all right? <clears throat> You're gonna make mistakes. It's not that you won't ever mess up. 
Sure, you're going to stumble. But have you chosen to make an effort to live your life God's way? When you do sin, we don't try to pretend that God's okay with it. We don't try to rewrite the word of God and act like it's fine. We don't, we, we, we don't try to excuse it away. Instead, we humble ourselves and we ask God to help us overcome the sin. Pride seeks to justify sin. Humility seeks to overcome their sin. You may mess up. Just don't be prideful in your sin. You're gossiping? Stop being proud of it. Stop excusing it away and just humble yourself. Lord, I don't know why I'm so addicted to talking about people. Help me do better. If you got lust in your heart, instead of being like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. No, 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 don't do that. No, 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 no. Instead of trying to explain it away and pretend God's cool with it, just be like, God, I messed up. Help me overcome it. Church, I'm the pastor of this place. I still sin. Okay? I'm not up here pretending to be perfect, pretending I don't sin. I just don't want to justify it. I want God's help to overcome it. Someone say amen. amen. Scripture says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, it says. That therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. See, the humble make mistakes but find victory. But pride will not submit and so will be destroyed. Often people see, I think I said it last week, scripture, people will always quote, pride comes before a fool. That's not what scripture says. It says pride comes before destruction because pride doesn't repent. They just keep going and going and going and going. See, a fool indicates that you just tripped a bit and you got back up on the horse like you told your five-year-old the first time they fell over, right? Destruction's different. It's eternal. You don't want that. Humble yourself. Repent. Don't excuse away your sin. Just say, Lord, I want to honor you with my life. <clears throat> Help me do better. Someone say amen, yeah? Good, good, good. All right, another one. Um, because God showed Abraham, he's also a God who hates sin, eventually he's going to punish it. And so our God is also a God who judges and punishes evil. And God wanted Abraham and us to know that. Eventually, God will give us what we've been working so hard to get. Romans 1 says, and I'm going to skip a few bits here, um, just because it's a super long passage. I'm just going to roll through it. It says, they are without excuse. Because, by the way, the next point we'll get to in a minute, because God always gives us an opportunity to change first. They are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. In other words, they knew that God exists, but did not want to live their life for him. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, verse 23. And, they, and God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, the impurity and dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, verse 25, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations with those that are, sorry, for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men. And they did not acknowledge God. And so God gave them over to a debased mind to do not what ought be done. At some point, if you don't humble yourself, God just goes, have it. Have it. 
Now, it's Pride Month, so some of y'all in here are like, yeah, get them. No, 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 no. It's you as well. It's your gossip. It's your hatred. It's your bitterness. It's our lying. It's our cheating. It's whatever it is. And, 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 and homosexuality as well. Come on, let's not just single one thing out. It's all of it. When we try to excuse away our sins. Hey, Christian, stop pretending that you've never messed up. It's okay to be human. It's okay to mess up. Just don't stay there. Just ask for God's help. Ask a brother or sister in Christ to pray for you that you may be healed. Amen. You know, Jesus goes on in the famous, for God so loved the world passage. He explains that when light came into the world, people loved darkness so much more than the light that they didn't want their sin exposed because it would change their lives and they didn't want to change lives, so they stayed in the darkness and they were judged. That's what pride does. It says, I'm not coming into the light. I don't want my life changed. I want to stay in my sin. And God says, you will be judged. Jesus says it. Yes, God loves you. God is for you. God is faithful. God is a healer. God is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. God is good, amen? But God is Mishfat too. And he judges the world. And we cannot go on ignoring God's word forever. Some people want to. They want to change. Oh, I just don't like that God. It doesn't matter if you like that God. That's who God is. The question is, is he real or not? If he is, let's live for him. If he's not, do what you want. You don't have to believe, but he is who he is. Amen. I am who I am, he said. Amen. Now, I've got some good news because we started like, woohoo, and then we went down, and you were like, oh, this is brutal. Well, we're going to come back up the other side now, and this is good news, all right? It's going to sound bad for three seconds, but it gets good. You ready? The last one is our God is a God who warns. Now, that's really good news. Really good. God doesn't just be like, you're dead. God warns, <clears throat> all right? Everybody gets an opportunity to say yes to God, to repent, humble themselves, and follow him. Everybody. See, Sodom, Sodom was warned. And instead of listening, they wanted to do nasty things. Actually, nasty. See, Australians, we say nasty. Y'all like nasty. I think nasty sounds way nastier than nasty, right? Nasty sounds like that, that chocolate cake was nasty, you know, like it's delightful. You, know? you guys got it right, like nasty. God sent some angels to warn Sodom, and instead they wanted to do nasty things with them. They did not heed the warning. Boom. There's another city in the word of God that was either as bad or worse than Sodom that were doing nasty things. A city that everybody in the whole world knew was horrible, evil, bad people. Nobody wanted to go there. Nobody wants to be near that. You would, you would, you, you would, take, a, you would take a 10 day longer tour to try and avoid that city. That city was called Nineveh, okay? God offering them the same grace that he offered to Sodom send somebody to warn them. If you don't know the story, it goes like this. There's a dude named Jonah. Jonah was some kind of man of God. And God comes up to Jonah and goes, yo, Jonah, Nineveh's over there. You're here. I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them, hey, remember Sodom? You're like that. I'm gonna drop a nuke. Uh, but if you repent, I'll give you my grace and mercy and I'll bless you. And Jonah's like, you want me to go to Nineveh? God's like, yes. Jonah's like, heck to the no. I'm going that way. 
Jonah runs away from God. Like, bro, he's God. It's like Sarah. I didn't lie. Yeah, you did. You know, Jonah runs away from God, goes the whole other direction. He uh, gets on a boat. The boat's in a storm, and they realize that it's because uh, of the judgment on Jonah for disobeying God. And so then they're all like, we'll throw Jonah into the water. And uh, then the big fish comes. And, and ever since then, people are like arguing whether or not it's possible for a big fish to eat Jonah. And I'm like, it's God. <laughs> like, it's possible for me to eat Jonah. <laughs> it, it, with God. <laughs> so, I'm not accountable. All right. Don't be quoting that bit on your Instagrams, all right? I don't even know where I'm at now. Jonah is in a fish. All right. And then God gets the fish to spit Jonah out somewhere closer to Nineveh, right? And so Jonah rolls out of the fish. Yeah. Yuck. God's like, you're going to go now? Now, me, I'd be like, you win, big dog. I'll do whatever you want. Not Jonah. He's like, fine. I'll go to stupid Nineveh. They're probably going to eat me, but whatever. You know? So he goes over to Nineveh and he's like, all right, everybody, you're going to burn. But you can repent and God will bless you and everything will be fine. They repent. Scriptures of 120,000 people give their lives to God. They repent of their sins and turn. It doesn't say they just said, yes, God. They repented, which means to turn away from what they were doing and toward godliness. They repented. Now, the story's hilarious. Again, it's already good news because God warns. He doesn't drop nukes without warnings, okay? And it's after a lot, by the way. And then he warns. 120,000 people get saved. Scripture says that for every one sinner that repents, the angels in heaven rejoice, throw a party when one sinner repents. You'd think, having potentially the biggest revival service in the history of the world, Jonah would be like, that was awesome. Everybody repented. Jonah is ticked off. Actually, it says, Jonah says to God, because you hang out with God, you get to know his character, right? Jonah goes, I knew you would do that. Like what? He's like, I knew you would give them grace. I knew you would give them mercy. Like Jonah was waiting for a bonfire. He's like got his marshmallows. He's got his chocolate. He's ready for s'mores, right? He's like, I'm going to have s'mores as that city burns. It doesn't burn. Jonah's angry that 120,000 people were not destroyed. He's so angry at God for not killing them that we find him at the end under a tree, just bitter, twisted, mad as a cut snake, just sitting there in the sun, in the desert. Tree's got no leaves, but there's one plant. It's got one leaf. And the story's like It says that Jonah was exceedingly happy with his leaf. You know you're bitter when the best thing in your life is a leaf. You know, you're like, yeah, you know. And God's like, this is stupid. Just tortures his leaf. Sends a bug to eat it. Leaf's gone. Jonah's like, my leaf! Kill me, God! Because the leaf died. Jonah cared more about the flippin' plant than he did about the 120,000 souls. Jonah was madder that the plant got torched. Are you kidding me? Now, 
This is a warning to us. I don't want to be a Jonah type of Christian. And I find, not you, you're perfect, right? We established that. But there are too many Christians that would rather see the world burn than repent. There are too many Christians that would rather see politicians they don't like burn and be destroyed than repent and follow Jesus. I've been like that. I'll be honest with you. I told you a couple of weeks ago how, how I had that issue with Joe Biden. It's true, I did. I realized that I was getting a bit like Jonah where it's almost like I'd rather see him fall over and suffer. I'd rather see him destroyed than repent. That's not okay. It's not okay to be like that. Someone's like, yeah, it is. Look, if you want a church that affirms you in your sin, there's plenty. They usually have rainbows in front of them, all right? Go to one of those churches. We don't affirm any sin, theirs or ours. We humble ourselves and be like, this ain't okay. We, we can't prefer, we can't rejoice in people's fall down. We can't rejoice in people's destruction. <clears throat> we shouldn't be more excited to see people like burn and be punished more excited than, than, than we would to see them repent and experience God's grace and mercy. Jonah is angry at God, just mad while the angels in heaven are rejoicing. Man, I don't want to be the sort of Christian like Jonah that's mad when angels rejoice. Scripture says to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Man, I will rejoice with the Lord and the hosts in heaven for every one sinner that repents and gives their life to Christ. Would you all stand up with me? We'll have the service closed in about five minutes, <clears throat> which is going to be a couple of minutes early, which means next week you'll owe me some minutes. <laughs> Why did I tell you all this? Why is Genesis 18 in there? Why does it even matter? If you know that God is not only a good God, not only a God of grace and mercy, but also a God of justice, wouldn't you want to partner with God and do your job and warn people of what is coming? It should motivate you to speak up. It should motivate you to get off the sidelines. Stop just sitting on the sidelines as the world goes to hell in a handbasket. You should be motivated to stop that from happening because you're so desperate to see people experience the grace and the mercy of God when they repent and see their lives transformed and watch them experience the goodness of God as, as they line their lives up with God's word and they discover that God's ways are so much better than the world's ways. Like get in the game. Tell people about the goodness of God the mercy of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the provision that comes from God and the justice that comes to. Tell the world. Get in the game. I've been in America 10 years, you can tell. Now I'm using sports analogies in my sermons. Get in the game. You know? Get in the game. Like we see 20 to 50 souls saved every week in eternity. 20 to 60 sometimes, sorry. 
Man, I wish we'd see another 100 Monday to Friday because you got in the game. Because you stopped sitting on the sidelines and started telling your brothers and your sisters and your co-workers and your school teachers and your friends at school that there's a better way to live. And this way ain't going to end well, but there is a better way that you can live. Amen? So I'm going to pray for people today. We've had a lot of people, probably 20, 30 people in every service. I'm going to pray for people today to come down. If you're like, man, God is convicting my heart that I've got to stop being a Sunday or a Saturday Christian. And, and I'm not just here to be in a happy, clappy club, but I'm here to make a difference. I'm here to make a difference and see souls saved. If that's you, in a moment, come down the front and just be like, God, I just pray you give me the strength, the boldness, and the courage to stand up and tell people to stand up and preach the whole gospel in the name of Jesus. There's another group of people, though, that need to come down the front, and that's people who you've got a, that sort of bitterness in your heart where you've started to prefer destruction over repentance. We want to pray that what you have freely received, you would freely give others the grace and mercy of God. It doesn't mean you don't tell the truth. It doesn't mean you don't talk about the destruction that's coming. It doesn't mean you don't talk about sin. We definitely have to talk about all this stuff, right? We definitely have to talk about it. We've got to tell the world, that ain't right. That's crazy. Stop that. For sure. But tell them hoping that they listen, not hoping they don't and get destroyed. I'm not saying you can't boycott Target. Do what you want, you know? My family, we're done there too. I don't, I don't need my kids seeing that garbage as I walk in the door. Like, we're done, you know? That's a company, all right? But when you're talking about people, you might want to pray for their repentance and for grace and mercy to come upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. And so if you need a change of heart, come down the front. Now, at Eternity, we, we open the front for prayer every single week. You know, we believe God's a God who provides. So come down and ask Him to provide if you've got a need in your heart. If you've if you, if you got a need, you could go home with the need. What I would do is I'd come down and say, Lord, can you help me? If you need a healing, you can go home, need a healing, I would come down the front and ask God for a healing. If you're struggling with anxiety or depression or suicidal thoughts or whatever else, you can go home struggling with that. What I would recommend is you come down the front and ask God to do a miracle in your life. Because here's the thing, God cares about what you care about. He's your father, father's care. Now, he may not give you what you want. He may redirect and help you see better, give you wisdom to deal with it. But don't go home with a need from God without asking God to do something about it, amen? So come down the front for any reason, maybe your marriage or your finances, I don't know. Whatever it is, come down the front. But also, especially people who you feel the Holy Spirit saying, get in the game. We're gonna pray for your boldness and People who you feel the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, you've been rooting for the wrong team in people's lives. It's time. It's time to pray that they repent and be excited and rejoice with angels in heaven as one sinner repents. Amen. As you come down the front, come down the front. I'm going to pray for everybody together when you come down the front. Awesome, awesome. Keep on coming. You know who you are. Don't worry, when you come down, we're not going to just assume, oh, you want to see everyone burn. We're not going to assume that. But come on down. I want to pray for you.
You don't have to leave the way you came in. Come down, come down into the middle to make more room for all these guys. There we go. I just love the insane number of young people in this church that want to be bold for the Word of God, you know, and that want to honor God and that are willing to humble themselves and say, well, maybe I haven't been doing it right. I want to live God's way. Amen. Love it. Come on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for people specifically that have felt you say today, get in the game. I sent you to warn the world. I sent you to preach the truth. I sent you to talk about my love, my grace, my mercy, my judgment, all of it. Lord God, I pray that you give them the boldness and the courage to stand up for the word of God. Lord God, to stand firm on it, not to be swayed to the left or right, not to be pushed around, Lord God, by what's popular, by a kind of popularity-based ethics, Lord God, but it would be rooted and anchored in the word of God. And God, I pray that you would help them to open their mouths. God, if you can use a donkey, you can use them. If you can make the rocks cry out, you can fill their mouths with boldness, with grace, with mercy, with love, with truth. So God, I pray you help them to say yes, to leave this place not just inspired, but equipped to do the work of the ministry. God, I also pray for people whose hearts have gotten bitter and twisted and they've sort of begun to prefer destruction in their enemies over repentance and salvation. God, forgive us for the moments in our lives where we prefer that and, and we're motivated by, by that kind of nastiness in, in, instead of grace and instead of mercy. And I pray that you help us to look at every sinner, look at every, at every person that hasn't made you their Lord God with compassion, that we would tell the truth because we love them because we want to see them repent and experience your mercy and your grace and discover the goodness of God in their lives. God, we want to be the church that rejoices when angels rejoice, that doesn't get bitter and twisted when angels rejoice. We don't want to be like Jonah. We want to be like Jesus. So God, I pray for that in your name. God, just heal us. Heal brokenness. Heal bitterness. Give courage. Give strength, we pray, in Jesus' name. Can someone say amen? Amen. God bless you. Here's, here's what we're going to do. If you came down for prayer for anything else or you still want someone to pray for you, say down the front, we've got a whole bunch of our prayer team is ready to come and pray for you and believe for a miracle in your life. If you want help overcoming something, you need to humble yourself and be like, oh, I need it. I need victory in this area of my life. Our team will pray for you, so stick around. The band's going to sing one more song. Any of you are welcome to stay here and worship with us for another song. You're also welcome to head off, get coffee, get lunch. If you're new, though, grab one of the fluoro yellow people. We've got a free gift for you out in the lobby. Love you heaps, church. See you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.